Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to be with you as we lean into God's Word. If you have your Bibles, open there with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 3, but this week, if you've been following along on our reading plan, you've actually gone into chapter 4, and so I'll be mentioning that also. And just to bring you up to speed, if this is your first time here, thanks for being here. This is a time where we gather around God's Word. We believe it is true, and it is our authority in life, and so we want to lean in to understand it so that we can follow it. And you know what? God is with us as we do that. We're not alone. It's not just us taking for whatever it means to us. It's what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. And God promises to lead us as we seek Him in that. So I'm glad you're here. And as we lean into God's Word, let's just think about where we've been in First Peter so far. First Peter was addressing a group of churches in Asia Minor in the first century. They were suffering. They were under persecution for their faith in Christ. They were under severe tribulation. And I'm sure there was a temptation, just there, like there is with us when we go through a difficult time. Where is God? Does he care? Is he with us? Why would this happen in my life? I even think on a more personal basis, we struggle with suffering here in the States because comfort has been our God for a long time. We love comfort. And when things don't work out, even the way we expect it, that's not our dream, which we all have our personal dreams. God must be angry with us. He must not be for us. And we got to come to this passage where we lean in when things aren't working the way we intended them to be. And we need to ask God the same thing that that uh, they did. And Peter, and listen to Peter in, as he speaks to us, even in our generation, of what this means for us when things are difficult when you're going through trials. And I just think about all the different issues you guys are going through in your week, how many that you'll face this upcoming week. God knows your heart. He knows what's, what's processing in your minds. And it kind of overwhelms me that when we go to God's word, that we have a powerful God who's willing to speak to each one of us and to remind us he's with us. He loves us. He's going to help us through this. So thanks for being here. As we get into God's word, let's just be reminded uh, when trouble or when persecution happens that it's actually part of God's plan. It's part of his picture of what he's calling us into. Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's saying, this is not strange. This is normal. It's a normal part of a follower of Jesus Christ to suffer for him. Is that normal? It doesn't seem normal to us. doesn't feel normal to us. So we want to just run away from it. We want to call God would never be a part of that. But here he's saying, you're right in the center of God's plan. And so what do you do then? Well, he crafts that vision in verse 19 of 1 Peter 4. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Doing good good in the midst of something that's so bad that's happening to you. Isn't that a countercultural concept? That, that he would call us to be a part of the goodness of God in a very difficult and bad situation. This kind of gives an image of the Old Testament prophet named Jeremiah who God used to speak to the exiles. And remember Peter called us exiles. We were elect exiles of God. Well, they were exiles in Babylon, far away from the country that was known as the promised land, Israel, far away from their city called Jerusalem. That was God's city. Their temple was there and they were so far away in Babylon. So Jeremiah writes to them and says, exiles, 
Here's what you need to do. You need to build houses. You need to plant vineyards. You need to marry. You need to make, uh, make, uh, make your home, even though you're exiles. In, in, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, he says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. What does this mean? See, this wasn't their land. This certainly wasn't the promised land, but it was the place God had them. And they had 70 years before they'd returned back, and God says, don't waste a moment. And in the New Testament, we have the return of Christ that is imminent, and that could happen at any moment. We don't know when that could be. That could be today. It could be 100 years from now. So how is the church to live without knowing the exact day that's going to happen? Well, we're to live where we bring about the goodness of God in our generation. We allow the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to flourish in our lives. And we follow him in the worst of times and in the best of times for us. Talk to me. Let's talk about the flourishing of the gospel in your life. What does it look like for the gospel to flourish in you and in the places around you and in our city as we think about us as a church? Well, when we talk about flourishing, we're talking about movement from the way it is to the way God intends it to be. Think about it. The way God intends it to be is important. That's part of the definition here because if it's the way I want it to be, that might be different than the way God intends it to be. And this also liberates it against those of us who are realists, who are limited by potential of what could happen because we only see the way things are. That liberates it from those of us who are pessimists and we're limited uh, in the, or we're limited and we can't see the the positive part of life and part of the way things are. And some of us are optimists. Hi, I'm Joe. Now I'm an optimist. I'm limited by the negative realities around me. And yet it's the heart of God. So it all calls us to lean in on what this flourishing looks like. So let's talk about what happens in a flourishing uh, of the gospel in you and around you. Four things happen in the flourishing of the gospel. And the first is when the hope of God overcomes despair, the gospel flourishes. Think about these people. They lost everything. Many of them lost loved ones to their stand for the person of Jesus in their lives. They suffered for him, but they had a living hope. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, uh, or 1 Peter 1, he says, You have been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They could have been in despair, but they lived with hope because the gospel was flourishing in them. Secondly, there was the love of God that was rising in them and it was comforting them in a time where it would be so normal to feel isolated because the gospel flourishes when the love of God overcomes isolation. When you go through a difficult time, most of us just retract. We go off the grid. When I go into survival mode, all my plans go out the the, the window and it's just what can I do for the minute right now? I just want to get through this day. Some of you who are in survival mode right now, you feel that. I just, what, I got to get it through this day and you can feel isolated. You can feel alone. So when anyone comes in and talks the word hope, you just want to shoot them down. And, and here, what is, what is Peter saying? It says, you are loved of God. You're beloved of God. Join together. Don't go apart. Don't run from this. Lean in to God and each other. Your 
you're, you're, you're to grow in brotherly affection because you know that there's brothers and sisters all around the world who are suffering for the cause of Christ. Because when love rises, so does the flourishing of the gospel. And then when, when the goodness of God overcomes evil, the gospel flourishes. Think about all the evil that was happening in the world at that time and all the evil that's happening in the world today. Injustice, racism, exploitation of people. Just the overall societal, society effects of, of selfishness and greed and self-centeredness. I just think about that and how everyone can be for themselves and we can ignore the goodness of God. See, we as followers of Jesus are to bring about the goodness of God. It's actually some of the things that as God has shared his goodness in our lives, we're to share that goodness with others. And as that rises, evil is overcome. The gospel flourishes the more goodness advances on earth and in our hearts. And then when faith in God overcomes fear. Here, a group of people were just being persecuted and they, were, they could be just crippled by fear. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to think. And faith. Faith. They were called to deepen their faith at the time where it makes the least human sense to deepen in their faith. So let's, before we move on, let's just talk. Let's talk. How many of you who went through a time of suffering, a time of loss, a time of rejection, a time of humiliation, when you hung on to the hand of the Lord, guess what happened in your life? Your hope grew. Your love grew. Your, your, the goodness of God was reflected through you and your faith deepened. So you could come up here and preach this message right now about how the gospel flourished in your life in some of the worst diagnoses, in some of the worst conditions on earth and, or in your life up to this date. But you hung on to the hand of the Lord because the gospel flourishes and hope wins, love wins, the goodness of God wins, and faith deepens. That's the whole picture of this that we're talking about here that the gospel flourishes in these environments when this happens. And so let me ask you this, because I want to pray for you before we move on. What do you long for the gospel to flourish in your life and around you? Think with me, your heart right now. Where are you in your relationship with the Lord and your understanding even of yourself? Where are you? When you think about the gospel flourishing in you, the hope of God, the love of God, the goodness of God, the faith in God. What do you want to flourish? Do you ever think about that? Because it's an important question to ask yourself. I just looked as I was preparing for this, and I thought, man, all four of them, I want the gospel to flourish. Because I can wake up, and I can get bad news, and I go, that was not part of my plan. God, what are you doing? Joe, you have a living hope in you. Don't be in despair. I can look up, man, I just wish just one day I could wake up and not think about what I want, what I think, how I feel, how others need to be more sensitive to me. I wish I could just get out of the self-centered nature that's just part of being who I am. I long for the gospel to flourish in me so that I can love people the way that Jesus has loved me. So I can love my wife as Christ loved her and gave himself up for her. I can love my kids as my heavenly father loves me. I can love my church as Jesus loves us. I long for the gospel to flourish in those areas. I long for the goodness of God to come 
in my life and to be reflected in all areas. To be patient, to be long-suffering, to be kind, to be gentle. And then when I look around our city, I have a heart for the gospel to flourish in our city. When you drive around this city, I know you're going to hit some potholes today. You're going to just do it. It's just going to happen. Instead of cursing this place, what if you prayed for the gospel to flourish in this place? What if you, as you drove around, there's so many things, so many things that you can be critical about in the places that you lived. And I've lived in multiple places. I was not born and did not born and, and raised here in Topeka. I, I have had five different places where I've lived and I've had issues with everyone because I found that I can move, but I still have me. And I can find the bad in any place that I live. But you know where a transformation happened in my heart is when I started looking that God has me here right now for a reason. And I'm not going to go passive with it. I'm not going to look for answers outside of me. I'm going to, I'm going to really lean into why God has me here. And I'm going to look to him to lead me as, as I follow him in this area of flourishing. What do you, when you look around and you see the realities around you, what do you long for? What do you pray for? When you look at your marriage, when you look at your relationship with your family, when you look at your people at work that you work with, when you look at the people you, you live around in your neighborhood, what do you long for? Because it's so easy for us to point out bad things or wrong things. And if we're not careful and we don't have a vision for flourishing, it'll affect how we see everything in life. We have a living hope. Jesus is alive and he's at work in us, church. We have good news to bring in the worst and the best of conditions on this earth. And so we long for the gospel to flourish. One of the, the books I read in my second year I was here at Fellowship was called The Church of the Irresistible Influence by Robert Lewis. And he asked the question that just haunted me the second year I was here. He said, if your church was scraped off its corner and you had no building the next week, where'd your community miss you? And I thought, they probably wouldn't miss us. We were a church at that time, and smaller church, and we were just trying to make it. We were just trying to make it. And, and the focus, if you're just trying to make it, is just your family, what's happening in the family. And at that time, we gave $200 outside of our church on a monthly basis. And, and now I think about how God has grown us in that. And I see him moving our eyes outside of ourselves into our community to make a difference and to bring about the goodness of the gospel flourishing in our community of serving our city, no strings attached. And I've seen our monthly giving due to our generosity here. I've seen it go from 200 to right around 500 or $50,000 a month outside of ourselves here because we got a vision of what it could look like for the gospel to flourish in our generation. Folks, we don't want to wait on a future generation to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. We don't want to wait on a future generation to be the church in Topeka. We want to be the church in our generation. And that's why I'm here. I believe that's why you're here because you want to see a major spiritual awakening not only in your own life, but with everyone here at Fellowship Bible, everyone here in Topeka. We long for the gospel to flourish. So before we lean into God's word, would you just pray with me that we would all have a vision of this? Father, I thank you for each person in this room. You know them. You know what they're going through. Some of us just want to make it through this day. Others of us are are charmed and tempted to think that this world is all about us and 
Our lives are just about keeping things comfortable or pleasurable. And Lord, give us, we need a better vision. We need a picture of the gospel flourishing in us and around us that only you could do, only you could do. And we thank you for including us in your work. As we lean into your word, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak specifically in each of our hearts, wherever you've planted us, wherever you're using us, to be a part of your gospel flourishing. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and for which we live. Amen. Let's read this. 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 17. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, that is, those who persecuted them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, it is better to suffer for doing good if you should be in God's will than for doing evil. Let's look at this because this really puts and gives us boots on the ground for how to not only begin but to sustain the gospel flourishing in your hearts and in our community. And let's take a look at it. It goes personal first and it talks about our hearts. And that's where the gospel begins. The gospel begins with each and in each of our hearts. And so as we think about this, let's go back to the word and just listen again. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor him as holy. That word honor and holy is part of what typically in the New Testament is referred to the work of God in our lives of sanctifying us. And all sanctifying it means is you set it apart for higher purposes. And so when God sanctifies us, he sets us apart from sin and he does everything we need to take sin away from us and he's taken everything away because he put that on Jesus when he died on the cross. So on the cross, God sanctifies us because he took our sin and placed it on Jesus. So instead of his wrath, we get the righteousness of Jesus. That's what it typically means in the New Testament is you look at setting something aside for holiness. But here, we're actually called to set Jesus aside in our hearts, to put him at the center of our hearts, on the throne that he rightfully deserves, and to worship him as holy. The one and only is what that means. Not first with a close second of my car or my clothes or my home. It's Jesus alone. He is the author perfecter of my faith. This is important because think about our hearts. If we were just to do a quick accounting of our heart, what would you count? What's ruling in your heart right now? What's, what's part of your processing, your pursuits, your passions of your heart right now? I just had to do this this week. And I was just humbled by the things that are just pinging around in my heart right now. Things like images of people who are important to me. Things, titles, privilege. I think about all the issues my heart processed this week. Selfishness, insecurity, hurt, anxieties, fears, desires. And there's also things like pleasure and joy and love and acceptance. But who is the source of all that is good in my heart? It's Christ. It's Christ. And there should be none other that is ruling in my heart. 
set him aside, allow him to flourish in my heart. And so what this, what Peter is saying is clear away all those things and set Christ alone on the throne. He's the one who's holy. He's set apart by far, no close seconds to in your heart and in my heart. One person to pursue. He's the audience, the audience of one of which my life lives for. Because the gospel has to flourish in our hearts. And then it moves through our mouths or in our language, through our language. Look what it's continue reading there. It says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Before we talk about gentleness and respect, let's talk about that word of what it means to always being prepared to give a reason or make a defense for the reason for the hope that is in you. That word defense is from which we get the English word apologetics. And so some Christians could look at this and just go, I need to be really good in apologetics. But what Peter is really saying is a watching world when you are tried unjustly or when you suffer is going to ask, why would you hang on to the hand of the Lord when that happened to you? I'm a dear friend of mine, just lost their son uh, last March. And the watching world around her at work asked, how could you hang on to the hand of God when you lost your son? I would hate God if that happened to me. So Peter says, always be prepared to give her a reason, to make a defense for the reason that's a hope. Why do you hang on to the Lord when things are tough? See, if we don't have a why, we will struggle with the what. If you don't know why you're serving Jesus, you will struggle with what it means to serve Jesus or to follow him or to suffer for him. And that's really key. Because I'm Joe. I grew up in the church. Some of my earliest memories are in the church. I remember, I don't remember what the teacher taught me, but I do remember the cookie I got when I was, in, when I was three years old. It was the windmill cookie. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I used to stick my tongue through the hole in it. Just, I don't know why. I was a freaky kid on that. But I, some of my earliest memories are in church. And I remember when I was 16 or 17 years old, I didn't know why I believed what I believed. If you asked me, why do you believe? I go, my mom and dad believe this. They bring me along to church. And we went to church. I went to church so much. I mean, Sunday morning, three hours. Sunday evening, an hour and a half. Wednesday night, because you got to have that weekend pick me up, don't you? So we had that weekend, you know, prayer service and someone taught the Bible there. And then Friday night was the kids program. So I went to church whenever the doors were open and I had no relationship with anyone who I lived around. I didn't really have a heart for my city. I just liked my church. And I saw anyone outside of my churches, those people, sorry for pointing at you. I'll go out there. Okay. Those people, us and them mentality. I didn't have a picture of the gospel flourishing, but I also didn't have a picture of why I believed what I believed. So I remember I did a search in the scripture. I decided to read the Bible on my own for my, for my own faith. And I remember that it was so rewarding to come in contact in the scriptures about the authentic Jesus. And I renewed my faith there. I was thankful for what my parents gave me, but it became mine. And when I got my driver's license, I drove to church willingly, without any threat, I went to church. I was able to celebrate with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I became part of the church when I started owning it. If you don't know why, you will struggle with the what. So why do you follow Jesus? 
Why do you follow Jesus? That answer is really important. If you don't know why, seek, lean in. God promises to be found when you seek him. And you can pursue a whole bunch of things, but don't you think it's worth some time to getting into the scriptures yourself and seeking after the authentic Jesus and then trusting him? Through our language, our language and what we speak about him, what we post about him. We need to give a reason why we do what we do. But do this, it says, with gentleness and respect. Can you just say those out loud with me? Gentleness and respect. Can I just get an amen for those two words? Does our world need more of those? Amen. Yes, because our world has sound bites. It has an us and them mentality. It's my view or no other view. If you believe in that, you're stupid. If you believe in this, I'm smart. Sorry if you don't teach your kids to say stupid, but that's how we are. There's a whole lot worse names that are called today. And so we need to We need to reform the language that's being used to defend the name of Jesus. Gentleness and respect. I can disagree with you. And you can be gentle and respectful. And we can still get along. When you give words that are gentle and respectful, even when you disagree or when you share your faith or you share about Jesus, guess what you do? You restore dignity to people. You treat them the way God sees them. And God has created every human on earth in his image. They're priceless. Everyone is eternal. Everyone has significance and and priceless value. And when you treat everyone, even those who persecute you, even those who are out to take you down with gentleness and respect, they cannot, they can't argue with that one. So many times, folks, this means to all of us. This means how we speak about Jesus. This means about how we confront sin. This means how how we post on Facebook or tweet with our our limited characters on that. It requires any language, any message that comes out of you with gentleness and respect. Because quite frankly, our tendency is to be jerks and to be harsh and to devalue people. Just that term, go to hell, is a term that we don't say often. But when we treat people like that, we are, we are robbing them of their God-given dignity. So when we communicate, that means I may ask you, just as you apply this, you might want to go back and look at your Facebook feed or your last tweets or some of your posts and just delete them because they don't have that gentleness and respect. And they don't show the love and the truth of your heavenly father. Because you bring about the gospel flourishing. The goodness of God through our language. And then it's through our lives. Through our lives. Let's keep reading there. It says. Having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ. May be put to shame. Now I haven't done any prison time. But I've talked to guys who have been in prison. And whenever you start going to prison, there's this thought, what you in for? And what you're in for will determine your standing in that prison. It's really interesting. So when these Christians were put into prison and someone asked them, what are you in for? Guess what their answer is? I refuse to deny the person of Jesus in my life. 
what? Your faith in your God put you in here? See, when you suffer for doing evil, that's kind of like, well, I robbed a bank. Well, you deserve to be here. And I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't care. I don't care because you're suffering for evil, right? But when you suffer for good, everyone wants to know, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And so your life is important. Your life has a wake. And when you bring about the goodness of God and the flourishing of the gospel through your life, it matters how you're living. And Peter says, let your good behavior show the greatness of God so that those who slander you will actually feel a tinge of guilt. Because you live without regrets, you live without excuses, you live without apology. There's no secrets. See, that's so important to me, growing up in the church, because I saw, I saw images of authenticity, but for the most part, we dressed up, and we dressed up all of life. My life's not that bad. I mean, I have all those things, I'm a good person, and I got Jesus. The reality is we all need Jesus. None of us are perfect, but we're all trying to follow someone who is perfect. His name is Jesus. And as he set us holy in our hearts, and as we speak with gentleness and respect, giving a reason for the hope that's within us, then our life has to match the goodness of God. And God has shared that with us. He has given us his grace. He's given us his love. All that we need For good behavior, he provides for us. We don't think about this. We just follow Jesus. He's our standard for those. It's important. It's important that I'm the same person in front of you that I am leading our staff during the week. I'm the same person here that I am when I lead in my home. I'm the same person here when you see me as the person that you don't see me. Because we can't afford the name of Jesus is denigrated when we when we live a different life when we live with a secret it breaks my heart to hear of pastor after pastor who has a scandal or who is not the person they presented them to be that affects the message of jesus and so peter is saying your platform is made bolder when you suffer when you suffer righteously when you suffer for good versus suffering for evil we need to be people who are willing to call it in our lives when we don't reflect Christ. That means when you don't love your spouse, you're willing to say, hey, honey, that's not the husband I want to be. And I'm sorry, that was harsh. That was not kind. I felt this past month, I've been expecting things from you and I haven't shown up wanting to give to you. And I'm sorry for that. That means when, like, I remember one time I... Jack, our middle son, he's such a black and white kind of person. And I was angry one evening, and it just seems like I was yelling a lot. And I remember as a fourth grader, he came into my room with tears in his eyes, and he said, Dad, this will not be a house of anger. (laughs) Jack's in ministry right now. Is there any doubt? And I just had to go, oh, man. Jack, I am so sorry. You're right. You know, no matter how old you are or how old your kids are, nothing beats an apology from a parent if they've messed up. Nothing beats that. I think about in your work relationships with your neighbors, 
with different things that you do publicly that you don't bring about the goodness of God, where the gospel does it, folks, vulnerability and authenticity, calling it what it is, at least restores, this is what's good in my life. This is who God is. And this is who I am trying to follow. Because the gospel needs to flourish in our lives before it can move to that final frontier of our communities. And it needs to move from God into our hearts, through our mouths, through our actions, and into our community. We need to be like, like, we need to be people who are willing to suffer for good, to take risks because of the goodness of God. Look what it says, that final verse there, verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. Hear this, public witness for Christ. So that the public witness for good and God's goodness is going to require a risk that we're willing to take in order to bring the goodness of God to very difficult and evil places. Folks, we will be a target We will draw criticism when we bring about the goodness of God in our community. We will be seen as ignorant, uninformed, simple-minded. But folks, never, never can someone accuse us of being unattached, complacent, lazy, or disinterested. We want a vision of the flourishing of the gospel, and we're willing to take risks on it. See, everything is about this living hope that Peter has called us to. And you may have heard of this concept of of a consumer confidence in our economy. And when consumer confidence is in the positive uptick, everyone will spend more and consume more. Economists like it when we have high consumer confidence because we're willing to spend more because we're confident our job's going to be there tomorrow. We're confident we're going to have money tomorrow. So it spends today. Peter wants us to realize this that you ultimately need to put your confidence in Christ. And when you have a confidence in Christ, and that confidence is with that living hope, guess what? You will risk your life today because you're assured that you're good with God tomorrow. Church, we need that. Each one of us needs that. We need that vision of God flourishing in our hearts, moving us, not just, just moving in our hearts, giving us good, you know, unicorn feelings in our heart, but ones that move us out into a world to take significant risks that we're willing to stand for and give a reason for the hope that is in us. His name is Jesus. So would you stand with me right now? And I want to commission you to be a part of the gospel flourishing, not only in your life, but in our community. Church, allow the gospel to flourish in your heart. Set your heart on Christ. He is the good news. Set him as holy, your one and only. Church, speak the goodness of God through your words, through your language, through your posts. May the people around you know why you live with hope. Church, live for the goodness of God. In this generation, may people see a picture of the love and the grace and the truth of God by how you Live out the goodness of God for a watching world. And church, share the goodness of God in this community. You are elect exiles. Pray for, live for, give your life to the flourishing of the gospel in Topeka. God bless you. You are now sent. 
go and flourish with the gospel. Thanks for being here.